0: for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Jan V., Andy J., and Brent S. We've got Jordan Trimble joining us on the show today. Jordan is President, CEO, and Director of Sky Harbor Resources, a Athabasca Basin, Canada-focused uranium explorer. The company also holds some gold and base metal exploration projects as well in Canada. Sky Harbor is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange, under the symbol SYH and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol SYHBF. Jordan, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Well, Jordan, we've got a fairly large uranium audience, many of which probably know about you and Sky Harbor, but why don't you give us some info on your background, past experience, and why you remain to be attracted to the uranium and natural resource business.
1: Sure. So um, I can start from maybe the beginning. Um, I've been running Sky Harbor now uh, for about uh, just over six years. Um, put the company together as the uh, uranium company it is today, uh, having teamed up with my head geologist, a gentleman named Rick Kismirsky, uh based out of Saskatoon. And uh, Rick has a uh, long, illustrious career in uranium exploration. He was the uh, uh, exploration manager uh, at Cameco for a number of years uh, before starting uh, his own uh, junior exploration company called JNR uh, back in uh, the late 90s, early 2000s. He had success with that uh, in the uh, the mid 2000s during the uranium boom we saw in 2006, 2007. And Made several discoveries, and ultimately the company was acquired by Denison and Mines, and, uh, which uh, has come full circle. Uh, uh, as uh, some of your uh, listeners may know, Denison's a large shareholder and strategic partner of ours. Um, and uh, David Cates, who's the president and CEO of Denison Mines, sits on our board. So uh, Rick, after uh, selling JNR, um, he joined up uh, with with me, and and that was really the genesis of, of Sky Harbor. Um, the vision. Uh, at the time and, and continues to be, we want to be a preeminent uh, uranium exploration and early stage development company. We initially set out uh, acquiring projects uh, in the basin around uh, 20 in 2013 and 2014, uh, and you know we've done a good job uh, being aggressive and being opportunistic in, and otherwise. Uh, difficult uranium market uh, you know we we all know uh, the uh the long term benefits of being a contrarian um, and uh, that's exactly what we are we we saw an opportunity and continue to see an opportunity uh to uh to to build uh, a uranium company that uh, can take advantage of depressed market conditions um, we were able to build the current project portfolio by spending Uh, less than $5 million Canadian um, and uh, acquiring uh, now what is uh, six projects scattered throughout the Athabasca Basin Uh, at various stages of of exploration too. I think that's important to know. know, We're not just uh, earlier stage projects, more grassroots projects. We do have more advanced exploration um, stage projects, including our flagship uh, which is called the Moore Project, where we're, uh, we've we been actively drilling, exploring and developing over the last several years and have an upcoming uh, drill program there. So uh, a diversified uh, portfolio of properties throughout the basin. We have exposure to both, both the east side of the Athabasca Basin, where the operating mines and infrastructure are, as well as the west side, where uh, most notably you've had uh, the recent discoveries uh, by next gen, by fission, and really, I would say, in the last ten years, the 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 uh, uh, discovery and exploration excitement that we've seen uh, in the Athabasca Basin. So, uh, we've done a good job building the project uh, portfolio. We we always continue to look for for new opportunities, uh, but uh, uh, over the last several years, our our focus has really shifted to advancing these projects. And and we have a dual prong strategy for that, one of which we uh, at our flagship project more Uh, We uh, go in, raise capital, we drill, we advance the project, we look to make new high-grade uranium discoveries and look to expand uh, what is known as the high-grade Maverick Zone. So there's a a high-grade zone there that was discovered, actually it was by my head geologist Rick and his team uh, about 20, 25 years ago. uh, And... uh, uh, they did a good job uh, initially discovering this zone and uh, we've since acquiring the project in 2016 have gone back in there and expanded that high grade zone uh, at, the, at the Maverick Zone. Uh, we've made new discoveries along Strike. Uh, but what's exciting and what's interesting going forward for us is we're now starting to test the underlying basement rocks. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later on in the interview because I think that's an important uh, part of our story right now. Um, So, uh, as I mentioned, the flagship project, we're advancing, but then we, uh, on our other projects, uh, utilize what's called prospect generation. So we act as a prospect generator, meaning that we go out there, we acquire projects, we package them up, uh, do a little bit of exploration and advance them to a point where uh, a partner company, um, a strategic partner company can come in and acquire a majority stake in the project fund the exploration going forward. Uh, and uh, we benefit with a retained minority interest uh, and having the other company fund uh, the work and the development at that project. So we've we've consummated two uh, deals uh, thus far, one of which uh, with uh, France's largest uranium mining company called Arano, previously known as Arriva. Talk a little bit more about that later on in the interview. Uh, and one another one with a company called Asincourt Energy. So both of these companies are advancing our uh, Preston and East Preston projects, uh, respectively, uh, both of which have upcoming exploration programs uh, uh, that'll commence here shortly as well. So uh, that's the, uh, really, that's how the company started, how it came to be. Um, Needless to say, outside of Rick and I, we have uh, you know what I consider to be one of the top uh, teams uh, running an exploration uranium exploration company uh, I'd be happy to chat a bit more about uh, our board um, our management team our technical team uh, we we have focused expertise in the in, in the Athabasca basin uh, going out making uh, high grade uranium discoveries uh, rick and and uh, our team in Saskatoon lead the charge there and then we have capital markets experience uh, with with my team here in Vancouver, uh, where we're headquartered. Uh, Before I was uh, running Sky Harbor, I've worked in the mining industry uh, my whole career. Uh, I do come from more of a finance background, um, having studied that in school and and, uh, uh, having got my CFA charter uh, currently sitting on the board of the local Vancouver Society. But uh, prior to Sky Harbor, I was Uh, doing corporate development for a gold company called Bayfield Ventures. And uh, that's really where I cut my teeth. Uh, My chairman, the chairman of Sky Harbor, Jim Pettit, ran the company and I started working with him back in 2010. And uh, we had success with a a discovery, high grade gold discovery we made in Ontario. Uh, And uh, so I I got to see the whole process from going out there, raising capital, um, acquiring projects, raising capital, and then uh, having success with the exploration um and uh, ultimately uh ultimately selling the company was acquired by new gold and uh, uh that's when around the time that uh that i started sky harbor so uh i've worked in this industry for uh many years and and uh worked with some great people and uh, you know that's a big part of the success of any one of these companies uh, in in the junior mining and resource space it's important to have uh, a team uh, around you that uh, can execute on the business plan and, and model and that's what we have here at Sky Harbor.
0: Well, I appreciate the overview on it and I wanna chat a little bit more details in a moment, Jordan. Now, thoughts on the status of the uranium market for 2020. What needs to happen in your view to get this market moving higher in a sustained fashion?
1: Well, yeah, it's been a, as I pointed out, uh, you know, it has been a a difficult market. We have seen um, depressed prices and in market conditions for the better part of the last, uh, you know, seven or eight years uh, post Fukushima in particular, uh, where, uh, you know, we saw obviously that the price of the commodity decrease from about $70 a pound uh, down to uh, hit a low in uh, Late 2016 of uh, just under $18 a pound. Now, I think it's important to note that, um, you know, where are we in this uh, uranium cycle? I think it's important to note. I, I truly believe we are at the beginning and early uh, inning in the early innings of a recovery. We've seen the price rebound from the the, the high teens to the mid 20s. We've, we've seen it over the last several years fluctuate between you know, call it 22, $23 a pound. And, uh, it, it, it's almost cracked through $30 a pound. We, we got up there in, uh, in, in 2018. And, um, so, you know, where are we at in the cycle early days of the recovery, uh, not so dissimilar to where we were in the early 2000s, early to mid 2000s. Uh, you know, we all know what happened between 2006, 2007 and, and, uh, any investor in the uranium sector between the years of call it 2004 and 2007 did incredibly well. Um, one of our strategic advisors is a, um, a gentleman named Paul Matizic who uh, had a company uh, that he uh, he built in 2004 uh, and ended up selling in 2007. Um, uh, and uh, it was a uranium company called uh, Energy Metals, which uh, he sold to Uranium One and he uh, he had a major win there. Um, it was uh, it was sold uh, uh, right at the uh, right at the top of the market, and it just shows you the kind of value creation that's possible when you when you do get a, a booming uranium market. So again, like I said, I do think we're in the early days of this uh, upcoming uranium bull market. We've started to see uh, the recovery. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts in this market, and I and you know I, I think that's important to note. It's not the most transparent market, it can be opaque. Um, You Gotta remember the supply demand uh, fundamentals for this market are very unique. Uh, It's a very political commodity needless to say, Uh, but uh, we do know uh, if you just kind of generalize and look at it from a very high level, um, the demand side is driven uh, almost entirely by reactor builds um, and uh, reactors that are currently operating. And so if we look at you know, what's happened over the last, uh, in particular, six years, I, I think it's worth noting that, you know, we've seen a significant number of new reactors come online, uh, just under 50 reactors. And these are uh, reactors that are larger. They're obviously um, uh, m- modern designs. Uh, they're, they're, they're safer. Uh, but they, they also generate a lot more electricity, typically speaking. So they consume more uranium. Uh, And that's important to note that the reactors coming online going forward, you know, a good chunk of them are these Gen 3 reactors, larger reactors in particular, uh, some of the ones in China that uh, can generate, you know, 1.3, 1.4 gigawatts of electricity uh, and therefore consume more uranium. So if you look at the numbers here, uh, today, uh, you have about 442 uh, operable reactors. There's 54 reactors under construction and about uh, uh, over 400 reactors ordered, planned and proposed. So, uh, I, I, you know, it's still very much a growth story, despite what you, know, you, you see and read in, in the media. It's very much a growth story, especially in the developing world. You look at China and you look at India. Uh, these are the countries, amongst others, that are leading the charge when it comes to new nuclear capacity coming online. China, you got 47 operating reactors, 12 under construction and over 200 reactors ordered, planned and proposed. In India, 22 reactors, seven under construction, 42 ordered, planned and proposed. So uh, there's there's quite a bit new nu- uh, nuclear capacity coming online in the developing world. And the reason for that's real simple, right? Uh, they need clean, reliable, Base load, so 24/7 electricity, and that's uh, that's what nuclear provides. And I can talk a bit more about that part of it uh, uh, later on in in the interview. But uh, you know, just summarizing the demand side, we're continuing to see growth, especially uh, in the developing world. Um, on the supply side, and this is where you know I, I think a lot of um, A lot of investors and a lot of market participants can get maybe a little lost, and it isn't as clear as the demand side, the supply side. Um, it's uh, it's basically concentrated in a few countries. We know Kazakhstan being the largest producer of uranium globally, accounting for about 40% of global primary mine supply. Canada, Australia um, are, are large producers as well, certain countries in, in Africa. But what we've seen in the last uh, couple of years has been a supply side response to the low price environment that we've been in. And we've now seen primary mine supply decreased from about 163 million pounds, all the way down to just over 140 million pounds. So we've seen some major uh, mine shutdowns, including MacArthur River, which is the largest, and richest uranium mine owned and operated by Cameco in the Athabasca Basin. Uh, We saw uh, the the shutdown of that uh, over the last several years. And we do not expect that to come back online until we see significantly higher uranium prices, my guess would be, you know, $35, $40 plus uh, sustainable price uh, in the market up from the current, call it $25 a pound. So a pretty, pretty meaningful move there. So these projects or these mines that have been shut down uh, production curtailment i don't see uh that these these uh, mines coming back online until there's a, a a pretty large uh increase in the price and it's sustained uh and so this supply side response i think is vital for this uh, ongoing recovery and uh and for the call it upcoming bull market i i, I truly believe we're going to see uh when you have that kind of um structural deficit that's forming uh, as we're seeing now when we have demand of uh, you know between 185 and 190 million pounds uh, and again continuing to grow uh, here on uh, with new reactors coming online uh, but the supply side has shrunk that much you're basically now having to eat away uh, at inventories and secondary supplies now we do know that that has been a big downward pressure on the market over the last Uh, call it seven, eight, nine years, but there's only so much inventory and secondary supply out there. uh, And uh, there's only so much you can eat into it. Um, And and so uh, as we see that... uh, supply, primary mine supply deficit continuing to increase. Uh, you're going to, you're going to draw down more and more inventory. And eventually, uh, I believe uh, not so sort to of to what we've seen in previous cycles, you will see a supply crunch. Um, and it's, you know, it's it, it, this, this sector, this commodity, it's a little bit different than other metals. It's building and uh, permitting a uranium mine financing the uranium mine is a little bit different uh, than than uh, bringing a, a mine mining a different metal online. And uh, a good example here on um, you know the, the the potential supply that can come online, uh, but the difficulty with bringing that supply online and potentially the long time uh, line to that supply coming on if you take the top nine or ten development projects and companies. Uh, and you look at the uh, the, uh, the deposits that they're looking to develop. To develop. Well, the, these projects or these deposits are in uh, companies that have a combined market capitalization of about a billion dollars. Yet their de- combined development capital expenditures uh, is just under five billion dollars. So what what's that telling you? That's telling you that right now in the current market conditions, it's going to be pretty difficult to finance the development of these projects. To bring new supply on to meet current and growing demand for this commodity. Uh, and uh, unless you see the price of the commodity move uh, and you see the valuations of these companies increase, uh, again, like I said, it's going to be pretty difficult to bring these new projects on uh, in a, in a, in a uh, short period of time, get them financed. And that's, that's assuming that, you know, the permitting And everything else goes off uh, according to plan. So, uh, you know, getting back to, you know, just broadly with the uranium market, we talk about the demand side, we talk about uh, the supply side, I think the underlying supply demand fundamentals for this metal for this commodity are uh, some of the most compelling out there right now. Um, Again, though, it's, you know, it still very much is a bit of a a, a contrarian um, investment right now because we haven't seen, you know, the market really move. We've had, you know, a couple times here and there over the last few years where it looks like the prices wanted to break out, and you know, it's certainly the long-term trend or the the, the trend right now is, I think, moving in 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 the right direction. Uh, however, we're, we're we're still waiting for that uh, big breakout, and I think that the you know, as far as price goes, I think seeing. Uh, the spot price, seeing the the metal price break through $30 a pound uh, and and with some momentum uh, and sustain that uh, will, I think, bring in um, a lot more money. I think that could very well be one of the key catalysts is is just seeing, you know, from a technical standpoint, uh, seeing that price break out. There's a lot of money on the sidelines uh, that knows that, uh, you know, this. there's good value in this space that... At some point, there's going to be a lot of money made in this sector, uh, as much like we saw in the mid-2000s, uh, 2006, 2007, as well as in 2011. Uh, but I, they're, they're waiting to see the price move first. They want to jump in once they know uh, there's, there's a real breakout and that the trend is, is, uh, is moving up with some velocity.
0: Appreciate the overview on that stuff, Jordan. I think that you made some key points. Do you see that the term contract market will be the place that this is going to start to move? Um, Or do you see that the spot price will slowly move up on low volume? Or do you see that really the the breaking point for this market is going to be the long-term contracting? And when do you see long-term contracting coming into this market in a significant manner?
1: I'm not talking small quantities, yeah, no, look, that's a great question. My my view on it is, I, I think we will uh, likely see, um, I think we'll likely see the spot price uh, move up um, first. Um, I think uh, what's happening right now in the in the uh, industry is, you 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 have a bit of a, a stalemate between the producers, the suppliers. Uh, and the fuel buyers, right? Utility fuel buyers. So uh, you've had a lack of contracting, as we know, uh, it's been a, a relatively dormant market for the last uh, several years, for the last little while. And uh, there's, a, there's a handful of reasons for that. But, you know, one of the reasons, no question, is um, the uh, producers of uranium are unwilling to enter into long contracts at the at the current low prices. That goes without saying. And, you know, the simple economics are at twenty-five dollars a pound, very few producers can make any money. Uh, I mean, when you have, for example, MacArthur River, which is uh, you know one of the lowest-cost, uh, best mines out there, highest-margin mines out there, shutting down production uh, because it can't make money, and it's more profitable for Cameco to simply buy it in the spot market right now and then sell it into their long-term contracts. Uh, you know that that's a that's a pretty uh, pretty telling sign, right? So we, we are in a market that is uh, where, where the price of the commodity um, uh, needs to be trading higher to for, for most production out there to be profitable currently. But, you know, I think almost as importantly to incentivize any real new meaningful production to come online. So I think what'll happen is uh, I think you'll see, given the low spot price, I think you'll see buyers come into the spot market uh, at least in 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 the short term um, now it 's important to note that the spot market is a relatively illiquid market. If you look at the volumes historically uh, you know you 're only you 're only usually seeing about twenty maybe twenty five percent at most traded on the spot market. the rest of uh, the material traded in these long term contracts We have seen years more recently where the spot uh, volumes have picked up quite a bit, in 2018 in particular we saw uh, almost 90 million pounds transacted on the spot market which is good to see it means it's cleaned up quite a bit uh, and, and what we're also now seeing is mobile inventory that's re- readily available for sale decrease uh, on in, in the spot market with some estimates um, of, of there being less than 30 million pounds of mobile inventory. Uh, and so you're seeing that market tighten up. And so, again, as long as the prices are low in, spot, in the spot market, I think you'll see buyers, um, you know, maybe step into the spot market uh, to test that first. But as soon as the spot market really moves and as soon as the pr- spot price, you know, starts trading much higher, uh, then I think you'll see a flurry of contracts um, that uh, that are signed. Uh, and uh, the simple reason being that, you know, the, the uh, n- negotiating leverage that a uh, fuel buyer has using the current spot price or the current term price uh, decreases as you see that price increase, right? And so I think you will see more contracts being signed because the fuel buyers um, will see there's a higher price that they can, you know, that that they can then justify the contract, the higher price, price contract at. And so um, that that's my view. Now, uh, you know, we have seen some contracts signed. We did see, uh, for example, last year, you know, Cameco uh, earlier in the year signed a contract. Now, the price was not disclosed, but um, there's um, good uh, good reason to believe that uh, the, the price uh, was at a, a much higher price than the current spot price or, or, or contract price was. And, and that could be the case too. You may see um, intermittent contracting uh, where deals, the stalemate, there is no stalemate. They're able to get a deal done. The utility really needs uh, the, 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 the material. They need a lot of it. That's one big thing to note. You know, several utilities stepping into the market um, and and in the spot market and having to buy two, three, four years worth of supply, I mean, that will drive a significantly higher spot um, uh, price. And they understand that it's a relatively illiquid market. They understand that, you know, it's not uh, th- 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 that they'll have to eventually uh, contract and go back to the contract market to shore up long-term secure supply of Uh, most of their requirements, right, Uh, versus a short term fix of of stepping into the spot market. But I I think, uh, you know, just getting back to, uh, you know, what investors are looking at, you know, we hear this time and time out that, you know, investors should be paying attention to the contract price to the price that most of this material, most of uranium is actually bought and sold at. Um, However, you know, we look, you know, investors want to see on a daily basis, they want to see the price of the metal. And that's what the that's what the spot price is. So I think it is important that, you know, we do see that that spot price move um, uh, and and hopefully move relatively quickly. I think that's what will really spark at least, you know, more investor interest uh, and bring this money that, you know, knows this sector, knows that there's an opportunity. Uh, there's there's an incredible value proposition, uh, but, you know, it's just been waiting on the sidelines to see, you know, a signal and, and to see uh, real momentum behind it. So um, I, I think it starts with the spot market, uh, but I, I would not be surprised, especially now um, with um, uh, the, these these older ex, uh, contracts expiring. I mean, if we just look at the numbers, right? There's there's quite a bit of contracts, long-term contracts expiring um, in the next decade in particular, um, and there's a good chunk down in the U.S. as well, uh, where we have uh, something. Uh, like 50% of the existing long-term contracts expiring by uh, 2025. And, you know, that number just continues to increase. And so we do know that at some point in the next several years, uh, these utilities are going to have to come back um, in, into the market. And as I said, they're not going to be able to shore up all that supply in the spot market. This this market will have to come back to some normality. And, that, and just a quick note on that, uh, if you look at just even... What we saw at the end of 2019, um, well, we, we, we started to see utility procurement uh, increasing and, and actually increasing quite a bit uh, where we we're, you know, st- start approaching uh, the the pre Fukushima level. So we're seeing utility interest in the market. Again, I think there's still a bit of this stalemate with pricing and terms, um, but, um, you know, that can change quickly with the spot price uh, increasing.
0: Do you see 2019 with uh, UF6 and separative work unit pricing increasing? What does that tell you?
1: Yeah, so that there's been you know there's been a lot of talk of that recently where we're seeing these these uh, fuel cycle um, products, uh, the, you know enrichment and conversion prices increasing, and I I think that that's what that's showing is that the market's tightening up, the fuel cycle's tightening up. Uh, and uh, as a result of that, we're seeing the prices increase. Uh, we have yet to see that happen at the front end with with yellow cake, with uranium. Uh, but I think it's a good uh, possibly leading indicator. I think uh, given that you know those parts of the fuel cycle are tightening up and prices are increasing, I think uh, that could lead to that could spill over into uh, yeah, uh, into uranium and into the, uh, the, the, the U308 price increasing as well.
0: Jordan, you've probably looked at various jurisdictions for uranium. Why do you like the Athabasca Basin, and also what drawbacks does the basin have?
1: Yeah, so I mean, getting back to the the genesis of Sky Harbor, one of the reasons that we uh, we wanted to get into the basin and and uh, we saw an opportunity there. Um, you know, outside of uh, you know building a uranium company, seeing from a top down approach, seeing an opportunity uh, in, is with the specific metal and commodity is that we 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 over the last 10 years we were seeing um uh more and more discoveries uh being made in these brownfields jurisdictions um in places that you know have had a fair bit of exploration and, and mining activity over the years the basin uh you know has been a prolific producer uh, of of uranium for 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 decades now and uh uh it's obviously in one of the top jurisdictions number 3 uh in the world is ranked by the Fraser Institute um it's one of the best places uh to work uh, specifically in Canada even uh, i've i've worked on with companies and projects in all all diff- all parts of the country and i can i can uh, safely say that northern saskatchewan is one of the best if not the best and so you can check off all those boxes but what really was intriguing to us uh, was that these uh, there were new discoveries being made uh, with some new techniques some new exploration methodologies uh, and that's what really drove us to start putting together the portfolio of projects that we have uh, if you look at what fission was able to do uh, at their uh, at triple R which has now become one of the largest highest grade undeveloped uranium deposits in the world, and then shortly thereafter uh, next gen at uh, at aero a similar kind of discovery uh even larger uh and uh, again a, an absolute spectacular uh discovery but you know collectively you've had uh, in a very short period of time uh, two major discoveries made um in the Athabasca basin creating uh massive amounts of, of wealth for their their uh, their shareholders uh and uh and they And it was done really using some new a, a new look at the the geology um a new a new look at the exploration and you know I talked earlier about you know what we're looking to do at our flagship project at more uh with the upcoming uh drilling uh and and some of the 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 work that we've done recently well what what's happened in the last ten years there's been a bit of a shift uh in how we uh, look for these deposits and in, in the and the rock that they're found in, and so the big one. Uh, with these uh, recent notable discoveries and several others uh, that have been made in the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, You take Denison's Griffin Deposit, for example, they're basement hosted. So they've gone and they've looked uh, underneath the uh, sandstone, the Athabasca sandstone cover. You hear about The unconformity, Uh, I won't get into too much geological lingo, but um, the unconformity is the contact between the sandstone and the underlying basement rock. Uh, And a lot of the the historical exploration and drilling has been focused almost entirely in the sandstone or at the unconformity uh, with with, uh, a lot less exploration uh, being carried out into the basement rock. So companies in the last 10, 12 years have uh, decided, you know what, maybe we should take a look. A little bit deeper. The uh, you know, after all, the the feeder zones, the source rock for these high-grade unconformity or sandstone-hosted deposits, there it's come up from the the basement rocks. So they started looking a little bit deeper um, into the basement rocks, and lo and behold, you've had. Uh, some of the best, highest grade discoveries made. Uh, you've had serious uh, uh, wealth generation as a result of that for the the investors early on in these discovery stories. And I, I think part and parcel with just that shift uh, now looking into the basement rocks you've had we now have more tools at our disposal so whether it's better geophysics uh, whether it's just more data on these projects the geochemical analysis that you can do with the rocks you get a much better idea of uh, where you want to be drilling where you want to be looking and then you know specifically how you go and find these deposits Uh, you know next gens use directional drilling quite effectively um you know fission used these radon surveys to hone in on additional discovery. So these are just examples of, of new techniques that are being employed to, 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 properly vector in on these discoveries. And, you know, I like to use, uh, the term return on drilling, right? So you go out and you spend money, you're looking to, um, uh, find and delineate new high grade deposits. Well, what's the cost of doing that? If you look back, uh, when the, the, the first large discoveries were being made in particular, you look at, you know, chemical um, and, uh, Macarthur River and Cigar Lake. Well, these, you know, these were deposits, you know, albeit uh, mega deposits and worth many, many billions of dollars. But you know, it took them hundreds of drill holes down to five, six hundred meters. Uh, to find these right and uh, that's a very expensive endeavor it's it's a, you know you've got to raise a lot of capital it's not something that a junior company can can do uh, but then you fast forward and you look at you know companies more recently junior companies uh, small cap companies that have been able to make these discoveries uh at a fraction of the cost uh, using some new techniques and and some some new ways of of, of looking at the rocks and the geology and then that's a that's exactly what we're doing here at our project base and, and specifically at our flagship uh, Moore Lake where uh, we, the, the recent drilling uh, and the drilling that's upcoming, we have a 2500 meter program that's starting up shortly. Uh, it's 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 very specifically focusing in on basement hosted targets. We've flown these new drone uh, surveys uh, that have Uh, allowed us more accurate targeting in these basement rocks, looking for very specific structures, cross-cutting structures and features. Um, You know, we weren't able to do that 10 years ago. And so uh, these new techniques and and, and methodologies uh, have allowed us to lower um, our cost, our discovery costs and increase our return on drilling as we look to uh, delineate pounds in the ground at our project base. Well, let's
0: talk a little more details on Sky Harbor. Can you first cover the capital structure for us, Jordan, and what key backers are on the share roster at this point?
1: Yeah, so the capital structure is pretty straightforward. There's 75.4 million shares issued and outstanding. Uh, we traded about a $12.5 million market cap. Um, you know, I, I'd say just a note on 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 the market right now, Um, you know, it was uh, 2019, we, you know, unfortunately uh, we saw a a pullback uh, across the sector. A lot of that was uh, driven by the, you know, the uncertainty around the section 232 uh, down in the U S where there was a non-decision, there was essentially a decision not to impose any quotas or trade restrictions. and uh, you know it was a bit of a head scratcher because uh, in in theory it's it's actually a, a positive decision uh, for non-US companies in that it won't it won't be bringing on um, subsidized pounds uh, in the US uh, you know to the tune of uh, you know call it uh, upwards of ten to twelve million pounds of, of, of production annually. Uh, So we we won't be seeing that supply come online as a result of the decision. But uh, what what did happen as a result of this 232 is a lot of money that had come into the sector that had bid these companies up in 2018 uh, and early 2019. Uh, effectively uh exited and uh it was event driven money um you know some of it uh, institutional money that you know was was playing the trade and, and needless to say when the decision came out uh and it was unexpected uh you know we we've, we've had we've seen an unwinding of those positions so you know it's 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 unfortunate but um that being said it's again it's created a a pretty incredible uh, value proposition i personally bought um, a lot of stock uh, recently um in the market, and uh, we we've recently raised some money uh, that uh, finances our upcoming uh pro uh drill programs and exploration programs and I, and I will note on that um you know we, we we did have the majority of the financing uh placed with institutional uh, investors and and family offices so there there is an institutional interest, especially. You know, funds that really understand uh, the the, uh, the underlying fundamentals of this sector and see the opportunity. Um, some of the other uh, notable and strategic shareholders, you know, obviously management and insiders, myself included, uh, we own a, a large portion. Uh, we have a lot of skin in the game. As I mentioned earlier, Denison Mines is our largest strategic shareholder. Um, and uh, we have that partnership with them. Uh, President CEO Dave Cates is on our board, an important part of our story. Um, uh, KCR Fund, uh, OTP Fund Management, uh, which is out of uh, Hungary. It's uh, uh, Hungary's largest uh, uh, bank. Uh, Sachem HM Co. Uh, out of New York, uh, and uh, a Global Market Development uh, with Jeff Phillips down in uh, uh, Southern California. So, you know, we have a, a notable shareholder registry, uh, good support. Um, uh, they understand, you know, the the uh, the, the uranium market. Uh, they they also uh, understand, you know, really our value proposition uh, and upcoming catalysts. And I think that that's an important point uh, to highlight. Is you know, outside of having exposure to the commodity, and there's very few ways of playing the uranium. Uh, market there's not many companies left uh, there's very few there's not a bunch of etfs you can't buy physical uranium so uh, you know you're you're, you're left with uh, you know a handful of mining companies is really the only way to properly uh, play the space um, but you know for sky Harbor outside of that, we are a high grade exploration and discovery store and that's that's a real key point there because it's we're not just looking to the uranium price to increase. Uh, to create value for our shareholders. We're going out there, we're looking to be that next big discovery story in the Athabasca Basin. And if you look at recent discoveries like NextGen, like Fission, like Hathor, you know, these are companies that created hundreds of millions of dollars um, for their shareholders uh, as they made those discoveries uh, using some new thinking, using some new techniques in the Athabasca Basin. So we don't need necessarily a booming uranium market it would be very nice it would be very beneficial but if we go out there and we drill one big hole uh in in one of our programs at the current market cap and valuation it'll make a meaningful difference uh to our valuation thereafter
0: very well and is marion katusa still on board as a shareholder there
1: yeah so the kcr fund is is marion's fund
0: jordan can you share with us how many shares you own and at what cost basis do you
1: own them yeah so uh, I mean you can check on cdi um, with my recent purchases and my uh, total shareholdings and uh, I'm up to uh, about one point three million shares um you can see that i've I've been purchasing quite a bit in the market recently uh, and in in the recent financing um I've purchased shares in the company between fifteen cents all the way up to uh, forty to forty five cents uh so you know my cost base is higher than obviously where the market's trading at right now and uh uh, and that's you know that that those numbers are excluding any warrants or options that i own
0: and jordan how have you set up the company to endure more years of the same in the uranium sector let's say it doesn't move for a while or it's just stagnant as we've seen over the last couple of years how are you keeping a lid on expenses while preserving the capital structure until it makes sense to ramp up efforts to bring in value
1: it's a, a great question, and um, as I mentioned earlier, one of the uh, you know one one of our main strategies is prospect generation, and this is uh, uh, one of the reasons that we we uh, about three years ago um, started to go out there and look for partner companies to bring in uh, to fund exploration uh, at our other projects outside of our flagship was for this very reason. Um, this gives us some staying power, right? So when we do a deal. Uh, we bring in a partner company, as I mentioned earlier. They'll they'll fund the exploration development work. We're using other people's money uh, in this case. We'll retain a minority interest, but we also structure the deal whereby they will make cash and stock payments. So uh, specifically on our two uh, projects, Preston and East Preston with Orano and Asincourt,, uh, If you look at the earn-in option with Orano. Uh it was structured as a six year earnin uh an eight million dollar total spend, seven point three million um for uh in in exploration expenditures plus seven hundred thousand in cash payments um and then as in court, similar structure, it's a three year earn in um, they have to spend two and a half million in exploration um, and uh, a million in cash payments, and then there were shares that were issued. So, this is a, a great way for us, uh, you know, not only to. Um, make sure there's less dilution, uh, equity dilution going forward, because we can use that cash uh, that's coming in to fund our exploration at our flagship project more, or any other project that we want to fund a hundred percent of. Uh, but it, as I, as you pointed out, yeah, if, you know, if we're in a tough market, it, it allows us to raise money uh, without having to uh, again go go to back to the market. So that's that's uh, one of the ways. You know, secondly. We're a small company, right? We're nimble. Um, you know, we, we, we run relatively low overhead, and, and we're flexible. If we see the market, uh, the uranium market really ramping up, um, you know, we we can we can be there. We can be opportunistic, and um, you know, whether it's uh, more marketing, um, whether it's uh, more acquisitions uh, to to benefit in that rising market and, or if we, you know, we've seen years where it's, you know, it's been real tough and we've been able uh, to rein in the costs and make sure that, uh, you know, that there's there's not more dilution and that uh, we're, we're able to weather the storm and get through it. So that's, uh, that's an important point too.
0: Yeah, we've seen what it can be like in a bear market where you've had discoveries where the stocks have ran and then they've come down substantially. We've seen that both in fission and next gen. Moving on, what are the primary focuses for Sky Harbor in 2020, Jordan, um, to advance the assets forward? When might you guys be looking at resource estimates for what you guys have delineated? And then also, can you speak to what the JV Partner Projects will be doing in 2020?
1: Yeah, so I'll start with uh, specifically uh, our flagship uh, more. Um, we, We had a news release out recently. Uh, that outlined an upcoming twenty five hundred meter drill program i've talked about the focus of that drill program being in these basement rocks, having now um, carried out modern geophysics, uh, which like i said is have, have given us you know what what I would say are the best targets we've had in the basement rocks on this project I think another um sp- Specific thing to point out with this upcoming drill program is in our last drill program in 2019, one of our our last drill holes uh, intersected the the best highest grade zone of basement hosted mineralization we've seen yet to date uh, on the project, uh, a two and a half uh, uh, percent uh, zone over 2.3 meters, um, and uh, again in the basement rock. So we didn't get a chance to follow that up. We will. With this upcoming drill program, that's uh, we we with the geophysics that we carried out, uh, it appears that there's there's uh, the potential down plunge um, at depth, and uh, we're excited to go and test that potential. Um, and uh, outside of that specific target, we are testing other zones on uh, the, the that Maverick corridor. So it's a two, four kilometer long. Uh, fertile conductive corridor. We know there's high grade mineralization at the Maverick zone, Maverick East zone, as well as other zones. Um, but we've only systematically drill tested, uh, and historically, uh, previous operators have only systematically drill tested about two kilometers. So there's still um, room to move along strike in particular up to the northeast, uh, which is what we're going to be doing with a, a few uh, drill holes in this upcoming drill program uh, and then also, uh, as I've been talking about there you know it's it's pretty much wide open uh, in the basement rocks uh, along that four kilometer long corridor, and so uh, there's still a lot of room to move um, as far as a resource estimate goes, um, you know we still think there's a lot more um, to be found at the maverick uh, zone and corridor and uh, elsewhere on the project. So we're gonna complete this drill program. We're gonna see uh, what the results are and uh, we'll make the decision uh, at that point whether uh, we wanna proceed uh, with a resource uh, estimate uh, in the near term, or if we would prefer to go back and continue drilling. Uh, again, I think there's there's more pounds that we can discover here uh, in the near term with the upcoming drill program uh so that's uh, that's the flagship uh, now moving over to the partner companies Arano and Asincourt uh, both companies have uh, upcoming exploration programs Asincourt's just announced uh they're mobilizing to commence a 2500 meter drill program at our East Preston project uh and this is exciting this is really their kind of first major kick at the can with drilling uh, on this project. They carried out a small program last year, but this is a, a, a crucial program um, for, for uh, collectively us at the project. It's going to test the best targets uh, and uh, uh, any success they have obviously will be beneficial for, for both companies. Uh, so that'll commence shortly. Uh, And then Arano uh, is planning a large geophysical and field program commencing shortly as well, which uh, will lead into a drill program uh, later this year. So uh, collectively between all the companies, um, you have uh, about 5,000 meters of planned drilling coming up. Uh, You have a significant amount of of dollars being spent, but the bulk of that funded by partner companies. Uh, So all in all, quite a bit of news flow coming up, I, I think the timing with the uranium market is, is perfect. Uh, I think that uh, we will see uh, a, a continued recovery this year, uh, a number of uh, key catalysts. Uh, I know we talked about this earlier, but just a couple of other things that I think in in, in 2020 will be important to look out for. Um, you know, we've seen these recent uh, climate protests and, and how they've escalated. While well, we're seeing more and more um, sentiment improving for nuclear, as a result of, of these climate protests, and and I think that in 2020 that can be a big theme for um, for nuclear. Um, secondly, um, if you uh, if you look at what's happening right now in the Middle East, um, you know the the, the Iranian nuclear uh, deal looks like it's it's unraveling, and that could cause um, a tightening of the market. Uh, there's uh, sanction um, waivers that. Uh, allow companies in Europe, China and Russia to uh, have allowed these companies to deal both with the Iranians and also with the Americans. I think that could come to an end uh, and that could cause a tightening of the market, which could potentially be positive uh, for the the uranium price going forward. Uh, another big one, too, uh, and I talked a little bit about it earlier, but just to, to uh, recap, uh, chemical buying in the spot market again because they've shut down production. Uh, at MacArthur River, they have to buy 18 to 20 million pounds of uranium a year. They have to source that from somewhere. Now, it may not all come from the spot market, but as we've seen, a good chunk of it has been coming from the spot market, and that will be supportive of spot prices uh, going forward. And that could be a, a big driver uh, this year for uh, the spot price.
0: Certainly, a lot of catalysts have come and, come and gone, and there's certainly more coming down the pipeline. With Cameco, It'll be interesting to see if they actually reach those targets this year. I know last year they said they were going to do something. They didn't do a lot. And, of course, there wasn't a lot available from what we could see. But uh, it'll be interesting to see this year if they make some moves in a more, I guess, uh, higher volume fashion. Jordan, what is the end goal with Sky Harbor? Is it to advance a discovery towards a buyout? Or is the company looking to go further than that and become an operating business by taking something from drill hole to a mine, advance, develop, commission, and, and actually produce yellow cake?
1: Yeah, no, our, our uh, objective and, and end goal, uh, much like we did at Bayfield, uh, is to advance uh, project uh, or projects with partners uh, through discovery, delineate a resource, de-risk the project as much as possible, uh, and then ultimately look to sell to a larger company or outfit. and And, you know, that's really what, our team is designed to do. That's kind of, you know, that's what we from day one set out to do. Um, and so we'd like to obviously do that uh, in, in, a, in a better uranium market. Again, I think timing is good given where we're at with our projects, uh, but uh, ultimately it is to uh, to sell the company.
0: Certainly. And it's good that you recognize the, the timing component of it. It is it is very important if you can try to catch it somewhere close. It's hard to get it exact, but if you can get it close, I think that's a good point and you guys are uh, set up, positioned well for that. What is your view on the various uranium jurisdictions outside of Athabasca Basin? And if you were an investor, Jordan, into other companies or into other jurisdictions, how would you position in this uranium sector to best take advantage of it? Would you look to diversify jurisdictions? Would you own producers, developers, explorers, physicals? How would you set it up?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I again I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, there's not um there's not a lot out there. It's not like there's um, you know, hundreds of companies to pick from and ways to play the space. Um, you know, we have more recently seen um some new funds that have popped up, like Yellowcake. Um, we've seen uh, royalty companies uh pop up as well uh and uh, so so there is there are a couple more options out there, but you know when you look at it really there's 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 very few companies um when you look at the total combined market capitalization of the publicly traded uranium companies, it's you know less than twelve billion dollars um and uh and, and so that's you know that's that's an interesting um landscape in that you know one it shows you how you know i'd say undervalued The sector is. I mean, when you look at it from the perspective of, you know, 11% of electricity generation globally is is nuclear, significant amount of, of, look at France, for example, is over 70%. So this is a a very important part of the electrical grid globally. Uh, Yet the companies that supply this industry uh, combined, publicly traded combined, for less than 12 billion dollars in, in, in value a in total valuation market cap so clearly there's there's you know a, 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 a mispricing there and, and you know I think we'll see that rectified as the the, the, the uranium market recovery uh, continues um, but uh, yeah I would say when you're looking for companies look it's always good to be diversified like in anything um, and, and when I talk when I say diversified in the uranium sector um i you know i i i think it it would be uh looking at you know uh market cap so small mid large cap you know again there's very few companies to to choose from if you look at the large cap space and you, know, you have Cameco, uh you know next gen is is now uh one of the, the the largest uh companies uranium companies publicly listed it's a developer right it's not producing um and uh uh you, you Kazatomprom has listed uh they floated a small part of the company uh so so you, you can look at that as well um and then you work your way down to the you know the mid caps and the developers or the advanced stage exploration companies and then to the small caps um i i geo, geographically um i you know I, I needless to say uh i think canada is the the best jurisdiction uh in particular um you know given you have the, the high grade nature of the deposits in the basin, so it's one of the lowest-cost producing um, regions uh, in jurisdictions. It's needless to say, from a geopolitical standpoint, uh, it's one of the best jurisdictions. Um, and, and you know, it, it's pretty tough to go in uh, and find uh, companies uh, that you can invest in in, in certain other producing uh, regions. You know, Kazakhstan being one, as I said, you know, Kazatomprom uh, recently listed a small part uh, with small float. Um, of the company but um you can't really get direct expo- investment exposure uh to Kazakhstan um outside of that right and uh, there's not a bunch of publicly listed uh companies that are uh, that that are operating in Kazakhstan uh when you look at uh, when you look at other parts of the world like Africa uh you know there's some good good companies and good deposits there um but you know it's it's um the the cost whether you know you got to look at specifically the deposit is it was it lower grade? Is it going to be higher cost? Um, I, I think when you're given the option of you know looking at um, North American com- uh, companies, Australian companies uh, versus uh, companies in parts of the world that are that are prone to higher geopolitical risk, I, I, I think, you know, my, my my money would be in the, the safer jurisdictions. I think there's still a lot of um, value to be unlocked in these uh, less risky geopolitical uh, jurisdictions like Canada, the U.S. and uh, and Australia. If you're looking at uh, Canada, the U.S. and Australia, uh, and comparing those three, uh, you know, again, if you look at the U.S. Um, uh, and you look at what kind of drove this Section 232. Um, you know, th- there's there's some good deposits down and and great companies down in the U.S. But you know, it's ISR, um, and that's that allows them to bring their costs down. But you know, they're still they're, they're not. The lowest cost producing mines, and hence the, the the reason you've seen most production shut in in the U.S. You need to see higher prices. Uh, now we'll see if anything comes out of the nuclear fuel working group that could provide some aid uh, to the to the industry down there. But um, um, you know, I think in the long run, you know, and you look at look at uh, the Athabasca Basin. There's there's high grade pounds that can be developed and that can make money. Um, You know, even in a relatively low price environment. Now, we still need to see the price of the commodity uh, of uranium move to incentivize, I think, any real new meaningful production to come online. But um, there's also in the basin um, and you take Denison as a perfect example of this, uh, you know, there's there's uh, some new mining methods or existing mining methods that are now being looked at as 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 a way to. Uh, mine these deposits in the basin. So Denison uh, at uh, Wheeler River Project in the Phoenix deposit looking to use ISR, uh, first time that this has um, ever been looked at in the in the Athabasca Basin, that would uh, bring their costs down significantly, uh, make them one of the lowest cost producers. Uh, and then there's, there's also some other uh, mining methods and techniques. Um, Sabre, uh, which is a, a joint venture um, project between Denison and uh, and Urano, two partner companies of ours, where you know they're basically looking to extract um, these high grade pods of uranium from surface using uh, borehole. Uh, you know these are all new mining methods uh, that are being proposed in the Athabasca Basin that could bring the cost down. So um, the, the long winded answer to your question, I think you want to be in safe jurisdictions, you know, especially with all the geopolitical. Um, turmoil and risk that we see uh, that we've seen in particular over the last several years in the mining industry keep it to a you know a safe reliable um, country and jurisdiction and in particular in the basin you have the benefit of it being the highest grade depository in the world.
0: Yeah I think to some degree I think many of the jurisdictions serve a purpose for a portfolio in more ways talking about timing, talking about red tape, talking about political jurisdiction, grade, cost, and so forth. I think that there's a lot of pieces that go into that consideration for a portfolio. Jordan, what's your view on, you know, Athabasca Basin does have good grades. Uh, do you believe that grade is king or is management king?
1: I, I think it's a combination of both, um, to be honest, right? I think, uh, you know, look, you need to have um, a viable project uh, and deposit. Uh, y- the asset has to, be, um, ha- has to be the real deal, but you can have a good asset uh, that uh, is stalled uh, by, by poor management, right? So, you know, this, and that question gets asked a lot. Is it the people? Is it the project? It's, it's, in, it's, it's a combination of both, quite frankly, right? You, you need both ingredients there. Um, you know, they're both very important to the success of the company.
0: Certainly. Yeah, I, I'm of the view that management is king and, and maybe a grade would be queen. But uh, outside of Sky Harbor, is there any key sector people that you pay attention to? And are there any companies or organizations listed or not listed that you like within the sector that you also pay attention to?
1: Um, I mean, you know, I spend a lot of my time obviously focused on, you know, the uranium uh, sector and, and um, you know, there, there's some within our shareholder base. Uh, you, you look at, uh, you know, Marin, Jeff Phillips, uh, you look at, uh, uh, you know, uh, Doug Casey, who's, who's done well in the space, Rick Rule, who's done well in the space. You know, these are notable resource investors that, um, you know, have talked about. Uh, the merits of investing in uranium. I've talked about, you know, the money that was made in the previous cycle, and that's, you know, I think that's a. Uh, it's always good to 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 rehash that because there were spectacular gains uh, in that last uh, bull market, uh, and and you know, even in 2010, 2011, when we saw uh, the price uh, of the commodity um, moving up uh, with the broader um, metals market, um, you know, we we, we saw some uh, pretty, pretty, uh, compelling, uh, wealth and value creation from the uranium companies up until, you know, Fukushima, right. Which, you know, was, a, uh, an unfortunate, uh, incident and, and it's, it's, it, it's, uh, it's created the market conditions that we're in now it's created, you know, quite honestly, it's created the opportunity to, you know, build a company uh, like we've been doing at Sky Harbor and like others have been doing where you, you're able to be opportunistic in in, in a tough market and, and uh, lay the foundation going into the next uh, bull market. So, um, you know, those are, those are uh, notables I'd say that, um, uh, that are, that are worth listening to. And, and, uh, you know, when we, when we look across uh, the uranium sector, um, you know, Amir Adani, uh and Scott Malby at UEC and URC, um, you know, they're, they're, uh, uh, a wealth of knowledge and, uh, obviously have built, uh, several companies and had success. Uh, uh you know, Paul Matizik, as I mentioned with energy metals, having sold that for 1.8 billion. And then outside of the uranium sector, um, you know, the, you go to these conferences and you listen to podcasts and you, you, you read up on, you know, the well-known, um, mind finders and, and, uh, uh, financiers in the sector, and you know the notables being the Lucas Lundings, and you know Denison is a lending company. Uh, Ross Beatty, Frank Justra, um, you know, and and uh, uh, you know they've all been at some point in their career uh, invested or involved in in this sector, and and so uh, it's it's a it's a niche market. It's a small market uh, relative to other uh, metals, um, some other metals, but uh, it's one that. Uh, Offers investors, um, because of the hypercyclical nature of it, uh, some of the most spectacular return potential uh, in, in when the market uh, heats up.
0: Certainly, and yeah, Ross Beeding needs a little bit more convincing yet on uranium, Jordan. Um, he's not quite there yet, but uh, hopefully, hopefully, someone will be able to convince him that we're in a fantastic setup going forward. And then Fukushima, you know, Fukushima and and the high price environment that occurred prior to Fukushima. I think we're the perfect recipe for what we have today. Let's uh, let's wrap up here. Uh, Potential investors who are on the sidelines with Sky Harbor. What would you say to them at this stage and at current price levels? Why should they look at Sky Harbor now?
1: Well, I'd start by saying, you know, again, getting back, you can see what I've been doing. Clearly, I'm of the opinion that um, more so than ever over the last little while, the company is is um, the, the value proposition stronger than ever, um, and I just look at, you know, again, a couple of things, uh, and I implore, you know, investors uh, looking at um, us and, and other uranium companies to look at this. Um, you know, one, if you're looking at it from a top-down approach, you know, where are we at in the cycle, timing-wise? I, I truly do believe the timing right now um, couldn't be better. You know, early days of a recovery. The supply-demand fundamentals are. Uh, some of the strongest out there of any metal. Uh, the supply sides responded to the low price environment, demands continuing to increase. There's near-term catalysts, uh, as I pointed out, whether it's chemical spot market purchasing, whether it's the situation in the Middle East, uh, whether um, it's the enrichment and conversion, prices increasing, spilling over, uh, into the, the 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 uranium market, uh, you know the the list goes on. Uh, the, the the climate protests again. I think that the, just from a sentiment standpoint, uh, this is going to really uh, continue to uh, garner attention and build momentum. Uh, that that'll be favorable for nuclear. You know, a great uh, example is the environmentalist Michael Schellenberger, who is was an anti nuclear um, anti nuclear environmentalist now pro nuclear and he you know you can just google him uh you look at some of the talks that he's given, and he likes to highlight you know the the the, the situation in Germany versus the situation in France where france uh uh seventy two percent nuclear some of the lowest electricity uh bills and and costs uh in all of uh, all of Europe um, uh, it's one of the on a per capita basis one of the cleanest uh countries uh, in Europe as far as electricity generation goes, and then on the other side of the border. Uh, in Germany, they've spent 160 billion euros to uh, roll out the, their, their green energy plan uh, with renewable energy at the expense of nuclear. Uh, and as a result of that, we've seen more fossil fuel uh, burning and electricity generation come online. We've seen their electricity costs increase. France's is now about 50% that of Germany. Uh, but uh, you know, most disconcerting is on a per kilowatt hour basis. Uh, the, the, the French generate about 10% of the emissions that, uh, that the Germans do. So, uh, you know, it's been a failed experiment and, and uh, people uh, like Michael Schellenberger talk about this and the numbers don't lie. Uh, so again, getting back um, to, um, you know, what investors should be looking at. If you're looking at it, the uranium sector, I think there's a, a, a very compelling case uh, in the short and midterm uh, as to why you want to be getting position Uh, leading into uh, what I think is going to be another great run. Uh, And then when you look specifically at Sky Harbor, as we talked at length about uh, the upcoming catalysts, uh, we're a high-grade discovery story. We offer investors the the potential for exposure to a high-grade uh, additional high-grade discoveries. We were using new techniques and new thinking, looking in the basement rocks, and we all know what happened with NextGen, with Fission, with Hathor. Uh, and uh, given that we have our drill program coming up at our flagship and partner funded programs coming up, we have multiple irons in the fire to, uh, to deliver that uh, for investors.
0: Excellent. I think that sounds great and uh, certainly a compelling opportunity. And, and back over to Germany and their uh, failed attempts, I'd like to call it uh, black and dirty energy rather than clean and green energy. That's uh, right. But We'll leave that topic for another another show. Jordan, how can the audience reach out to learn more about you and the company?
1: Uh, yeah, so the best uh, way to do that would you know, initially can go to the website at www.skyharborltd.com dot com. Um, all of our contact information's on there, all the pertinent uh, information on the companies online. Um, I'm very accessible um, uh, here in Vancouver. Happy to, uh, to, to discuss with anyone. You'll see our contact info uh, on the website. And yeah, so just feel free to reach out, uh, send an email, give us a call, and uh, happy to chat.
0: Jordan, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, good luck over at Sky Harbor, and we
1: look forward to having you back. Great. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot.